0: Welcome to the Rocky Mountain Christian Church podcast. Rocky is a community of believers who want to know Jesus and love like him. Let's take a listen to this week's message. Amen. Hey, church, it is good to see all of you today. And uh, whether you're joining us online, it's good to have all of you there. If you're joining us on the Frederick campus, just want to say we love you. And it's great to have you join us live. And it's just good to see all of you in the room. And it's kind of a big day, isn't it? It's uh, Super Bowl Sunday right? Super Bowl Sunday, and I don't know if some of you aren't like sports fans, but many of you are. So how many of you are rooting for the Patriots today? Oh, I mean, the Patriots aren't actually in the Super Bowl today. That's kind of a good thing, right? Come on, you guys, are you with me? That was actually funny, man. Come on, help me out here, right? How many of you are rooting for the Chiefs today? We'll pray for you. How many of you are rooting for the Bucks, man? Yeah, I'll have to be honest. When, you, when you're going to your 10th Super Bowl, and when, you're, when you have the opportunity to win your seventh Super Bowl, I think that makes you the GOAT, and I just have to. I've actually asked the question before, can you be a Tom Brady and a Patriots fan and still be a Christian? But now that he's with the Bucks, I'm rooting for him this week. So we'll see. But hey, we got more important things to talk about, right? So let's jump into the last week of our series. We've been doing this series called OK Is Not OK. And the whole idea of the series, if you haven't been with us, It's just been the idea that in 2020 is a difficult year. We're all sick of talking about it. I get that. But it was a year in the difficulty of last year that it kind of outed us on some things where we began to realize that, hey, we're just not okay with this area of our life and we're not okay with just being okay. And so we've talked about some difficult subjects. We talked about finances. We talked about community. We talked about mental health. We talked about pursuing Jesus and our relationship with him. And there have been some moments in some of those conversations where I think some of you have been felt, you felt uncomfortable, but probably uncomfortable in a good way. By some moments where you're like, oh man, this is uncomfortable. I'm even getting a little worked up here. But then as we work through the conversation, it's like, yeah, you're right. We've got to work through that. And today we land the series on one that's really passionate for me. We're just going to talk about it. it's not okay to be okay as a church. And there will be some uncomfortable moments but just remember, in those uncomfortable moments, it's usually the difficult conversations that cause us to grow the most. I, I received an email two weeks ago, and it was an interesting email. I had been at a conference two years ago and spoke at a conference in Missouri, and there were some guys that came up from a church in northwest Missouri that talked to me after the conference. I remember the conversation. Haven't had any connection with them after. They were asking about our mission statement. They were asking about our church. They were asking us about some things I talked about. And I got an email from them two weeks ago, and here was the email. The email started off and said, hey, you probably, re- you probably don't remember us, but here's who we are, and would you be okay if we steal your mission statement? To which I was like, okay. And honestly, it's, it's not the first time that question has come to us. Like, it's probably five or six times over the last few years where people have just emailed or called and said, hey, we kind of like your mission statement. Would you be okay if... If we steal it. And guys, here's the thing about our mission statement. Now, maybe I should stop for a second. There's a lot of you that have joined us over 2020, and, and some of you haven't even made it in the doors yet. You're still online, and you may not even know what our mission statement is, so let me just say it for you. Our mission statement is super simple. I mean, it is, it is simply this, to know Jesus and to love like him. And we would even add some words onto that where we would say, man, we want to help as many people as possible know Jesus and love like him. And here's what I've always said about our mission statement. It doesn't ring. Like there are far more creative mission statements out there. And we've even sat down a few times and some people that have been new on staff have come in and they're like, hey, your mission statement, I like it. It's it's good, it's simple. But is it too simple? And and it just kind of doesn't ring. Like what they're saying is it doesn't rhyme or it doesn't just... And you know what? every single time our staff and our people, because of the stories that we've had throughout the last eight and a half years, we sit back and we say, hey guys, hold up man, it works. It may be simple, it may not ring, but you know how many people have talked to us over the last few years inside our church and outside of our church says that is so simple, I can remember it and when I put it to work in my life, it works because that's what we believe. You take the idea of know Jesus and love like him and you begin to get to know the real Jesus Like not the one we grew up with, because there's all kinds of versions out there of what churches say and media says and other people say about who Jesus is, but you get into the eyewitness accounts about Jesus from the people who actually walked with him, and you begin to see a person and a savior and a God that you say, I want that. And when you begin to want that, and you begin to understand that, and you begin to take the way Jesus loved people, and you apply it to how you love your spouse, and you apply it to how you love your kids, and how you love at your workplace, and you love your neighbors, man, you begin to watch everything change around you. And so when they emailed me and said, hey, can we steal your mission statement? I laughed because I'm like, it's not ours to steal. Like, if you just want to go straight into Scripture, You go straight into scripture. I think it is the heartbeat of Jesus for his church and for his world that he created. You go into scripture and you see Matthew 22. What did he say? He said, love God and love people. You go into John 6 and he says, what's the work of God? Like the work for all of us? It says, to know the one I've sent. To know and to believe in the one I sent. You go into John 15 and he says, just love one another as I have loved you and that'll change everything. And it has. It has throughout history and we believe it can again. And so when they email me and say, man, can we steal your mission statement? I'm saying, yes, because we stole it too. <laughs> we just stole it straight out of scripture and we believe that it changes everything. If you want to steal that and you want to steal any other language we have around that, do it because I believe that it's the heartbeat of Jesus. And here's the thing for our church. For our church, whether you're sitting in a seat at Naiwa, you're sitting in a seat at Fred, or you're sitting there at home online, I think every single one of us has to be crystal clear about the mission that God has given us as a church. Because when you get confused about the mission, what you start to do is you begin to take something God created, intended to be a certain way, and you begin to try to make it what you want it to be instead of what God intended for it to be. And it happens in our faith, it happens in our families, it happens in our businesses, and it can happen in our church. You go throughout the Gospels and you see that mission confusion, that idea of being confused about the mission, is a 2,000-year-old problem. Like Jesus just came into the world and you see that everybody around him was confused about why he came and who he was and what his mission was and what he wanted to accomplish. And the Gospel writers, the people that walked with Jesus, they just write about it constantly. They even say, we missed the mission like we were within three years and all the way up to the very end we were having a conversation on the way to jerusalem on the way to him being crucified we're having this crazy conversation we had constantly about isn't he going to be king and if he's going to be king then we get to be leaders with him and they totally missed that he came to be a spiritual king not a national king the crowds missed what jesus now the crowds came to jesus But they constantly came with the wrong motivation, with the wrong questions. Could you give us a sign? Could you feed us? Could you do this? Could you do that? And they missed that what Jesus came to do was to reconnect them with God, not just to meet their physical needs. And you take the religious leaders and they missed it. They thought he was a lunatic. They thought he was a heretic. He's sitting there saying, I'm God. I can forgive sins. I can do this. He hung out with the roughest people in society, the biggest sinners you could find, and they're like, this guy is off his rocker. And they ultimately crucified him for it. And you go 2,000 years later, and I think what you can see, and I think one of the things we did see this last year with us and with people we're connected with is it is easy for us to get confused about the mission and begin to make things like the church what we want them to be instead of what God intended them to be. I want you to get to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21, it's a story that you've heard before. It's a famous story. But it's this picture of showing how Jesus reacts when you start messing with his mission. So Matthew 21, here's, here's what happens. Is it's, it's the last week of Jesus' life. Just kind of set up the background. Jesus has come to Jerusalem He stood outside, he's looked down on the city, he's prayed with his disciples, he's wept over the city and he basically acknowledges before the ones who are following him that this is the last week of his life. He will go into the city, he will be arrested, he will be tried and he will be executed. They didn't understand how that was gonna happen. They didn't even really understand that it would happen but Jesus made it very clear. A lot of emotion for Jesus wrapped around this moment, but the people are stirred up and they just know this legend of this man named Jesus. And so the people in Jerusalem, when he comes off the mountain and he comes down into the city on the donkey, we call that the triumphal entry, right? It's Palm Sunday. It's, it's the Sunday before Easter. And Jesus walks it or rides in on this donkey. And what the people do is they take palm branches and they lay it down before him as a sign. That's what they would do before king's. They would lay out the red carpet. It would be palm branches that they would put in front of him and they quoted Old Testament sayings and they would say, Hosanna, blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Totally missed the mission. You see, what they thought Jesus was coming to do was to be their king, their physical king. And Peter and John and all these guys who dedicated three years of their time to Jesus are just right there with them saying, hey, yeah, it's us too, right? And Jesus walks into the city And the first place he goes is the temple. You have to understand the temple just a little bit. The temple was a large area. It was a large rectangle. And there was courts on the inside. But on the outside was the Gentile court. It was a place where only Gentiles, outcasts, um, only people that were unclean and could not go into the inner parts of the temple. And where outsiders would come. This was the Passover feast. So it was the largest national celebration of the year. There's As many as two million Jews that were there in Jerusalem, packed place. But not all of those people could actually go into the inner parts, but what you had to do is if you traveled from far away, you had to come and buy sacrificial lambs or doves or whatever you're gonna sacrifice from the money changers that were there and they would do that in the area of the Gentiles and the outcasts and the people who were unclean and could not go inside the gates of the temple. And so Jesus walks in and here's what happens. Matthew 21, verses 12 and 13, it says, Jesus entered the temple. He entered the courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And he said, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer. But you were making it a den of robbers. Now you read that, and isn't it interesting to something that probably would have hit the top, the front page of the headlines would have been the biggest headline going into the Passover of what happened. And the Bible gives us two verses on it. It, it just does that. Throughout, throughout scripture, you just see, and if you actually would just step back and think of this almost like a movie, man, what would it be like? When, my junior year of high school, I was sitting in the, um, you probably resonate with this and have seen something like this, but I was sitting in the cafeteria, and there's hundreds, I went pretty large high school, hundreds and hundreds of kids in the cafeteria. And all of a sudden, a commotion started um, behind my table. It was a little bit further away, and people start getting up, and they're standing, and they're watching, and they're looking, and all of a sudden, somebody ran into our table, sent our lunches flying everywhere, and I turn around, and these two massive football players, I mean, I'm all right there. I was this tall and weighed about 155 pounds. I'm like, I got to get out of here, but these dudes were massive. And somebody, the one football player had picked the other football player up, body slammed him on top of our table, then picks him up, throws him into the salad bar, salad goes everywhere, and these guys are on top of it. And it was the most hilarious sight to see these two tiny little teachers trying to rip these football players off these guys. And the whole crowd standing around, and what are they yelling? Fight, 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 right? You've been there. You've seen the commotion that happened. Now, Jesus wasn't throwing people on tables but he was tossing tables. And it would have been that moment where everybody around would have seen the commotion, even if you were a couple hundred yards away or a few hundred yards away, it would have made it, and you would have been like, what is going on? And people would have gathered around, and the crazy thing about it is no Roman soldier, no person who's a money changer, no officials of the temple even step in and do anything about it. I'm telling you, when Jesus' power shows up, man, opposition kinda runs. That's something we see about our Savior, his strength. But in that moment, I want you just to reimagine as I read what you would have seen, what you would have heard. Here it is. It so says, Jesus entered the temple, courts. You can imagine Jesus looking around. This had happened once before at the beginning of his ministry. He looks around. He's disgusted by what he sees. And all of a sudden, he pulls off his belt or whatever he grabbed. And it says, and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And you can imagine him looking. He just didn't say, it is written, my house. You can imagine Jesus with forcefulness turning around and saying to the crowd and the religious leaders and everyone else and saying, it is written, my house will be a house of prayer. But you were making it into a den of robbers. Let me ask you quickly, Why do you think Jesus flipped the tables? As I said, it it happened before in the book of John, early on in his ministry. But the first thing he does, they've just said, he's gonna be king. And all of a sudden the king that they're ready to pronounce, he walks in and he messes with every method they've got. I mean, he just messes with everything that they've got, the sacrificial system, the temple, the whole nine yards. And it was probably the thing that actually put the nail in the coffin for Jesus. Those religious leaders looked at that and said, we're not going to do anything now, but by the end of the week, before this Passover is over, he's done. Why did Jesus do that? Was it because he was ticked off at the method? I don't think it was. He did mess with the methods, but Jesus kind of did that all throughout his ministry. You step back and you look at one of their biggest methods to connect them with God was the Sabbath, but the Sabbath had become this rule that all they cared about was the rules of the Sabbath instead of that it was supposed to connect them with God, and so Jesus would walk around and he healed people on the Sabbath. Sounds like a good thing to you and me, but the religious leaders even had traditions built in and things built into their laws that said that you couldn't heal people. If you were a prophet, you couldn't heal people on the Sabbath because that might be work, and we're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. Jesus would walk through the fields and and his disciples would grab grain and and they'd eat grain and they would see him doing that say, they're working. And Jesus would just turn around and sarcastically say, hey, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You see, those methods were always tools. Jesus didn't have a problem with the methods. If you really wanted to get Jesus worked up, what you did is you messed with the mission. You messed with the mission. And Jesus walked into this, into the most emotional time in his ministry, getting ready to do, to accomplish the mission of what God had sent him for. And he looks around and sees that people were taking the mission that he came to bring and turning it into something they wanted instead of what he intended. I want to dive into three things. Three things quickly that I I think we see out of this passage that we can also look back into 2020. We can look at us as a church. We can look at people across our nation. We can look at things and say, you know what? I think we're a little bit confused about the mission. And maybe it's time to a little bit realign and even talk about just a little family conversation about our church. What kind of church we're going to be and what we're going to be focused on. And it's very interesting. There may be some little bit of tension, but usually tension leads to some good conversations. And so the first piece of confusion, you look through this, piece of past, this passage and it's interesting, the first place they were confused about the mission is they put politics over people. And some of you just got really uncomfortable that I just said politics in church again. It's been a rough year. But if you step back and you look, you look at what happened in this passage, what happened is the religious leaders and the people put politics over people, and what happened was the temple became a symbol of nationalistic pride. You see, the temple was supposed to be a tool, but understand, it, you have to understand, like, what, let uh, see, let me step back for a second. It is easy for us, let me say it this way, it is easy for us as Christians in our nation today to separate our faith and our politics. It can be, it should be, because what happens is our constitution is not the religious law that we base things off of. We have Jesus' sayings in his scripture that says, here's how we were supposed to live. The Constitution is the law of our country, not the kingdom of God. Now understand, man, there are great things about that, but it is easy for us to be able to separate the two. For Israel, not so much. For Israel, what you had is you had the law and you had the temple (laughs) and you had the sacrificial system and the law was the law not only for their religion but also for their country. And so what happened for them, it was really easy for them to take the political symbols or the religious symbols which were the same, which were the same in scripture. So the temple and the law and the sacrifices, all of that went both ways, nation and faith. It was easy for them to mix those and to what they would do is have a tendency to raise one over the other. Jesus calls it a den of robbers. He said he came in the temple, he called it a den of robbers. He was going all the way back to the book of Jeremiah, hundreds and hundreds of years earlier, the prophet Jeremiah actually accused the religious leaders of the same thing Jesus was accusing them this time. He was saying, you have taken the temple, you have taken the law, You have taken the sacrificial system and what you have done is you have elevated them above the God that they are supposed to point to. And so you want to get Jesus really worked up? You want to get Jesus flipping tables? You begin to take something that Jesus intended to point to something else and you have it point to you and to elevate those things and elevate the nation over the faith that God intended. Now, I'll just be really honest, if you look back over 2020, and you look at an election year that was really difficult, and you look at a year that was a lot of strife over that and difficulty over that, you can see a whole lot of time, you can see a whole lot of effort, you can see a whole lot of energy that people put into studying more about politics defending their politics, arguing with people who disagree with their politics, trying to understand an election that was crazy, talking about conspiracy theories and all the different things that go around with that, and you know what I'm talking about. And we step back, and you almost have to ask yourself the question, how much time did we put into the kingdom of God, being a citizen of the kingdom of God, and time being put into being a citizen of the United States of America? Now... If you're getting uncomfortable and you're getting a little ticked off, please know. I think we live in the greatest country in the history of the world. And, I, I, and some of you are like ready to say amen on that one, right? And I think we live in a country that gives us incredible amount of freedom. But when you step, back about, you step back and you look at it, I can tell you this, that just like Jesus flipped those tables because he said, hey, I am more important. The kingdom of heaven is more important than the country of Israel. He stepped back with us and he looks at us and he says, the kingdom of heaven is more important than being a citizen of the United States of America. Jesus actually cares more about his kingdom than he cares about our country. And here's what we look at as a church. Man, I have some definite political views. I have some definite things that I think are true, but you know what, I, I, I would say this, I care much more about the kingdom of heaven and advancing the kingdom of heaven than I do the politics that I might hold or the ideas that I have. And here's what I begin to see, when we begin to take politics and put it over people, and we take politics and put it over faith, what happens is we begin to argue more about our politics and try to get everyone else out there to agree with us and we only hang out with people who agree with us and we get really angry and we get really frustrated and we post and we do all this and that and you know what I've realized is nobody ever reaches anyone else for Jesus by trying to argue them to Jesus or to argue them to your point of view. How do people enter the kingdom of heaven? They enter the kingdom of heaven by being loved to the kingdom of heaven. And we are gonna be a church that is about kingdom first. We are gonna be a church that that means that as a church, Rocky will always be a place where people of all political bents can come and find Jesus. We will be a church that loves and accepts everyone. We will also be a church that introduces everyone to Jesus' grace and Jesus' truth. And I just ask you this. Which one did you spend more time on last year? Which one should we spend more time on this year? Second thing that I think we see in the passage is methods over mission. Another one that can get a little bit uncomfortable. You see, Jesus didn't, as we said, he didn't get worked up over methods, but but I think sometimes we do. Jesus walked in and he started flipping tables and what were tables representative of? They were the money changers that were taking money and exchanging the Roman currency for the temple currency. You see, many people came from miles around, they were under the Roman government, they used the Roman currency, they would come in, but they had to use the temple currency, the Jewish currency, when they were at the temple. So there was this money changing that would go on. And it was a big racket and we talk about all the different things that they would do in that. But it represented, they would come and they would buy, they would exchange money, they would also buy doves and they would buy lambs and they would buy cattle to be able to sacrifice to connect with God. Jesus walks in and he starts flipping over the tables and what he was saying is, I am greater than this system that exists. There's a whole book of the Bible, the book of Hebrews, where Jesus goes through the methods of the Old Testament And it says, the writer of Hebrews goes through and he says, Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than the temple. Jesus is greater than the priesthood. Jesus is greater than the sacrificial system. Jesus is greater. And if he is a greater way, then shouldn't we do anything to be able to change and to follow and follow his way? Jesus said this to the sacrificial leaders. He said it to the priesthood. He said it in front of all these people. He said, you're making my house into a den of robbers. My house is to be a house of prayer. And he was saying, my way will be a better way. I will not, you will not, no more will you have to come in and sacrifice every time you sin." No more will you have to make this big trip to Jerusalem to come on the Passover feast. I will be the Passover lamb that will save you from your sins once and for all. Be the sacrificial system. And if that's a better way, shouldn't we choose a better way? I tell you, you go back and I think it correlates for us. You go back into this last year And I've talked to pastors everywhere and connected with pastors all across the country. And and one of the things that pastors have said throughout this last year is change has been really hard. Now, I'll, I'll be honest with you, change, everything changed this last year. Man, you want to think about how your kids went to school. You want to think about church. And we do online church now. Many of you haven't been back to the building. Many of you have. We've changed how we do things to reach more people. But here's one of the things that every pastor that I've talked to has said, is people have had more issue and more problems with change over this last year than we've ever seen. Now it's understandable. There wasn't a whole lot we could control as people this last year. And so when things that we valued and we connected with, when somebody started to mess with those and change with those, man, there was some angst, even some anger, even some people across in churches that were like, I'm out of here if you're changing that thing. But here's the thing that I would say, And and I would say this, some churches changed too fast. Some churches didn't communicate well. There's a couple decisions we even made this last year where we didn't communicate as well as we should. We weren't as clear as we should about some decisions. But the heart of that decision was not to continue the methods we had. The heart of that decision was to even change the methods we had to accomplish more of the mission. And we figured, just like Jesus was saying, hey, My way here is greater. We figured, hey, if there's a better way, if there's a better way to reach kids, if there's a better way to disciple people, if there's a better way to reach out and serve our community, if there's a better way, wouldn't we do that? But the religious leaders looked at Jesus and said, but that's my way. That way's been the way I've done it. That way has changed my life. And Jesus said, I I get that. But if there's a better way, Why don't we change to that way so we can reach more people, not just the Jewish people, but the Gentiles and everybody else? And it applies to the church as we step back in and we begin to look at things and we say, sometimes we get so attached to the method, method, the old methods of things, that we miss the overall mission of what God's trying to do to reach more people. And Rocky, i just say this, it's uncomfortable to say, but I would say this as a church, we will be okay with change. Because if change helps us reach more people for the gospel, we will make those changes. We will be okay with change and we will be willing to put mission over method. We will be able to say, hey, if there's a better way we're gonna do it, even if it's not my way. If there's a better way to do it, we're gonna even change and do that even if the other way is still a good way. If there's a better way to do it, I'm even gonna sacrifice my preference in things because I want to reach more people. And I'm telling you the stories of the people that we have reached this year have been incredible. Incredible. And it's worth every single one. You see, Rocky, for the sake of people, we are always going to be about mission first and method second. We're going to be about mission first and preference second. We're going to be about mission first because we are about reaching as many people as possible And helping them know Jesus and love like him. The last thing was very interesting. The temple was a place where if you were an outsider and you came in, you had this sense that it was a members only place. Bob Goff writes a book and he says this. He said, He said, if you want to know God's plan, just love everybody always. (laughs) I love that idea. Bob Goff's great writer. He's writing written a book called Love Does and this book called Everybody Always. And the whole idea is, man, even if you don't even understand God's plan, man, what is this simple, as simple as our mission, he said, just get out there and love everybody always. Know Jesus and love like him. The leaders of the temple had set things up where it was a members only place. You walked in, and if you were an outsider, you would usually walk in with a sacrifice. Some wouldn't even come with sacrifices because they had come so far. They would come up to the money changers. They would get gouged because they had, I mean, the exorbitant prices for the different sacrificial items. Some would walk up, and they would have brought something with them, and the temple leaders would look at them, and they would say, "Uh, ah, it's not quite right. It's got some blemishes. You need to buy ours. And it was a racket. And what it communicated to people in the Gentile court where Jesus was the only place where those who were outsiders and outcasts could actually come and worship, and the chaos that ensued, and being all about the insider and not the outsider, Jesus walked in and he was so angry, and what it communicated to them was you're not welcome. See, the religious leaders made it hard for people. And what I love about the passage is Jesus had a different idea. Jesus flips tables. Like imagine the picture. Go back to the whole picture. And you like Jesus walks in. He's flipping tables over. Commotion. Everybody's looking around and going, wow, what's going to happen next? You know what happened next? In verse 14. In verse 14 it says this. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. He flips tables over. He messes with the system. He gets everybody ticked off. And he turns around and stops. And all the outcasts. All the blind people, all the lame people, all the people that didn't feel comfortable looked around and said, man, members only over there, everybody always right there, I'm going here. And they went to Jesus and what What did he say? What does it say? It says right there in the middle of the table with stuff all over the ground, with tables flipped all over the place, he began grabbing people and healing them. And you have a hard time arresting a guy like that. (laughs) I think for us, we wanna be a church It's not a members-only church. We want to be an everybody-always church. We want to be a church that takes our mission seriously, where it says, hey, we don't care who you are and where you come from. You're just like us. You are broken people. We are broken people. And we are just on a path and a journey to figure out who Jesus is, because we figure he's the only one that can fix us. And we want to make it as easy as possible for people to be a part of this place. I think it's an amazing picture i think for us everybody always means this it means that you can belong before you believe it means that you can be a person who belongs even before you behave <laughs> like jesus may talk about behaving it means that we will be a church that's messy not everyone will be like us but everyone will be welcome and everyone will be accepted it means that in everybody always church is a church that Man, if you're a Republican, you can be here. If you're a Democrat, you can be here. If you're a conservative, you can be here. If you're a liberal, you can be here. If you're gay or straight or rich or poor or black or white or brown or male or female or believer or non-believer, you can find acceptance at this place. And not only can you find acceptance, you can find an understanding about Jesus' grace and about his truth. goes on and it says in Matthew 21 verse 15 it says but when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw all the wonderful things that he did and the children shouting in the temple courts Hosanna to the son of David they were indignant That wouldn't it be nice if they said man they changed their minds they like got on the train with Jesus and on the bandwagon with Jesus and they changed things in the temple and man everything was great and no, it says they saw all the wonderful things. They saw him heal people. They saw him change people. They saw him be with people. And what does it say? <laughs> it says they were really ticked off. Man, I don't want to be a group of Christians that see all the good things that God's doing, even in change. See all the good things that God is doing, even in the middle of a really difficult year. I don't want to be a church that steps back and just says, man, we're, we wish things wouldn't change. We wish things would be like the old ways. We wish things, man, I hope we will be a church that looks members only over there and everybody always over there, and we're gonna head to that. I've got a good buddy named Bob. I've talked to Bob quite a few times about our mission. Came here eight and a half years ago, met him on my first Sunday, man, he's great guy. And I remember Bob sending an email to me about our mission. And he says, man, Sean, that mission is so simple. He says it's so simple he said you know what i'm going to steal that mission and i'm going to take that mission and i'm going to put it into my business because really if you think about it man i'm kind of the pastor of my business he had a large business here in longmont since retired but he's like that's my role and if i could just man you're helping me understand jesus more if i could just love people as jesus loves people even in my business i think it would change everything could you imagine if every single one of us walked out of this place or got up off of your couch today, if you're watching at home, or got up out of the Frederick campus or got up your seats right here, and we went with that passion as a church, united together saying, man, we're just gonna get to know Jesus and we're gonna love like him. And we're gonna be okay with change. And we're gonna put kingdom over country. And we're gonna make sure we're in everybody always church. You know what I think? Last part of that passage says that Jesus saw that they were so angry, and he left them. I think if we become an Everybody Always Church, Jesus would come to our church. And that means everybody we're trying to reach would probably want to come to our church. And so church, I'm just saying to you, wherever you're sitting today, I'm just saying, why don't you join us in that? This year, where we go after people who need to know Jesus at whatever the cost to us, because God loves people, and he wants them to be with him. I hope you're in with us. Let's pray. Father, I just come before you today, and man, I think it is awesome to see all of these people sitting in these seats, to know all the people that are sitting over the Frederick campus, and then to know that there are a ton of people that are even online today. And to think about the impact and the influence that we could have together as we just reach out and go after people. Father, I pray that you would help us just to Look back into our lives right now and make sure that we are focused on your mission, not ours. Make sure that we aren't trying to recreate the church or our faith or things you've created into things we want them to be, but what you intended them to be. And Father, I pray that you would do, as Ephesians 3.20 says, immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine inside these walls and outside. Help us to be focused on your mission. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you